Today, we're going to be talking with Melvin Jimenez. Melvin and I worked together at Hartnell College. First, he worked with a cohort of students uh, that was in our Computer Science in Three Years program, which is a shared program with, the, with California State University at Monterey Bay. And then he transitioned to becoming a counselor working specifically with students on academic probation. Melvin will be talking to us about the difficulties some of the students uh, live with and how we can help them, but also he'll be infusing a lot of his own experiences, having gone from one of the more challenged parts of California, East Los Angeles, to a community college and from there to one of the premier universities uh, at the UCLA in this case. Melvin, hi. Uh, you and I go back a long way but I've always looked up to you as a person who has walked in the shoes of so many of the Latinos, the first generation, the people who, who have really uh, shown, despite everything, an ability to overcome. Uh, you went to the UCLA, you got a degree from San Diego State, and you and I met when you started working on our computer science and three-year program. So tell me, from your perspective, what has been your learning and how do you think you can take the Melvin example and multiply it by the millions who are disenfranchised by higher education? Thank you, so I appreciate the, the introduction. Um, I would say that the biggest factor that allowed me to probably reach the level that I've reached, to be involved to the level that I've been involved has been the sheer luck of exposure, I would say. Um, and here's what I mean by that. When I was in high school, I wasn't the, the sharpest tool in the box. Um, <laughs> I barely graduated, if I'm being honest. Um, and it wasn't until my senior year that I finally had some inspiration to, to try to take school serious. Um, and I surprised myself by getting my first 4.0 ever my last semester at in high school. And I went from just, you know, being your, your average student that's just, you know, barely getting by to somehow getting a 4.0 and it wasn't like I became brilliant overnight it was just the first time I actually tried um so with that when I graduated high school um I didn't have a chance to go into a four-year institution that was not in the cards at all but I did have the good fortune of a friend said hey I'm going to the local Rio Hondo Community College do you want to come with me and I was like okay and so my friend kind of just invited me and through the luck of that that invitation I went I signed up and then I was like, do I do part-time? Do I do full-time? Um, and so he did part uh, full-time. So I was like, I guess I'll do full-time too. Um, he was talking about this great program that he joined called EOPS. And I was like, what's it about? And all he said was, I don't know, but they give you money for books. <laughs> so that sounded enticing to me. So I signed up because I wanted money for books. And so here I was in the EOPS program at my local community college. I got my book money. I was excited, but... Uh, lo and behold, it actually ended up being a very great program. Um, not only did I get the book money, which is a huge carrot for me to join, but I had a very great mentor and counselor that I met through the program. And this mentor and counselor continued to introduce me to folks on campus, to other programs. Um, I eventually became a peer mentor for the EOPS program. Um, and so I would say more than the college itself was this program that just continued to open more and more and more doors. And had I not been in this program, I don't know how I would have found out 90% of the things I, I learned through my community college experience. So I would say through just sheer luck of being in a program like EOPS, I was fortunate to get exposure 
that a lot of my peers didn't. A lot of my friends that I graduated with, out of 10 of us, two of us transferred or even finished community college at all. Um, and those two of us happened to be the ones that were part of programs like EOPS or TRIO in my, in my friend's case. Um, and then through the program, they paid for me to apply for five colleges to transfer. Um, I was uh, uh, pretty set on going to Santa Barbara because I heard that's the fun school, right? So my priorities as a young man weren't entirely academic, but I thought, hey, Santa Barbara's where everyone's seeing are the, the, the fun school's at, I'm going to go to Santa Barbara. But since I had those five uh, transfer applications through EOPS, I applied to UCLA, to Berkeley, to Santa Cruz. Um, and I forgot which other school I applied to, uh, probably UC San Diego. And I was fortunate that I actually got into all the schools. Um, and so I was like Santa Barbara bound, but because of my EOPS mentor, she said, Melvin, before you say yes to Santa Barbara, go visit UCLA. And, and at the time, I didn't realize how much power uh, uh, a good school has, right? UCLA, yes, I've heard about it. Yes, it has the football team and, and it's a good school, but but I haven't heard about that being a fun school. <laughs> so another EOPS student in the program was going to go turn in their letter of intent to register. So they invited me with them. I tagged along. I saw the campus. I fell in love. And so just last second, I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to UCLA too. And, and again, because of the encouragement to even just go visit the campus, right? If it wasn't for that nudge, I wouldn't have even found my way to UCLA. Um, so once I'm at UCLA, same thing, I find a program similar to EOPS, the Center for Community College Partnership, CCCP, and I get involved with them, I become a peer mentor, and through their uh, exposure as well, I ultimately get help applying for graduate school where I went to San Diego State and then got my master's degree in education, um, and that kickstarted my career in higher ed. Um, so throughout that entire experience, it was just exposure to opportunities that really helped pave the way, especially for someone like myself that isn't scared to, to take, take a chance with something. Um, anytime I had exposure, I was like, well, let's explore this. Oh, look at this new thing. Sure, let's explore this, right? And I'm sure if a lot of my peers, if a lot of my friends had had that same exposure, they would have probably had a higher likelihood of having been successful as well. But unfortunately for them, they went to different community colleges if they went to school at all. They didn't get connected with these programs and they didn't get the exposure. So for them, school became just go to school, come back, and that's it. And it's easy to fall through the cracks when you don't have someone keeping you accountable, when you don't have someone uh, informing you and exposing you to, to different opportunities. Um, and so again, I think just through sheer luck of exposure, and stumbling across opportunities, I was fortunate to, to continue to make it from one level to the next to the next. Um, but I'm very aware that that's not the status quo. Um, and so I'm very grateful for having done that. And I think my own experience made me excited about wanting to help others be able to follow in that pathway, which is why I ultimately ended up going into education and working in the fields for about 15 years. Uh, I, I, and listening to you, and, and for those who don't know it, uh, EOPS is Extended Opportunity Programs and Services uh, that is uh, funded uh, by the state of California through the California Community College Chancellor's Office. Um, but um, there are millions of people uh, who could say, I wish I had the exposure. But I saw you when you were when we were you know on the same campus and you were working with our uh, um, computer science and three years program students that you took 
those learnings that you did, those exposures, and you empowered each and every student. And, and we were dealing with cohorts of over 30 students uh, each. Uh, so I take it it wasn't just serendipitous. It was also you. But how can we make more of yous out there? And how can we get it to those individuals that are currently in, in K-12 or outside of education at all? or individuals that are in higher education, like you said, are going to school and coming back home and that was it. I, I think one of the things that enabled me to have the success I did with the courts I worked with was the level of flexibility that came with starting a new program. Because this was a role that wasn't previously defined, there was the flexibility to kind of mold the position, mold the work I did to my experience, to my liking. And I think whenever you have new programs, new grants, you have that wiggle room and flexibility to do that. Um, but unfortunately, the challenge lies when you have already well-established roles and definitions and scope of work that employees have. And how do you try to introduce something new when that's not already part of the plan, when that's not already part of the job description, right? Um, so I would say whenever you have these successes on campuses, at schools, um, whether it's it's funded through the college or through a grant or through whatever means, you should always try to piggyback off that and try to bring that back. I think most every school has an evaluation process, right? And I think one of the things that needs to happen is you need to be able to look at those successes on campus and think how those elements could be brought into other areas of the campus, right? So if this is already, for example, a, a, a coordinator mentorship manager uh, position, right? What's working here and how can you add those elements to the job descriptions that are already on campus, right? Uh, so I think part of the, the, the reevaluation process needs to include the ability to, to look at those successes and not be scared to, to redesign, if you will, right? I know college redesign was a big thing a few years ago um, and, and a lot of schools go through that, but how how transformative can it really be um, if, if, if you're not willing to go against the, the, the status quo to challenge it and to, and to, to bring those innovative uh, techniques and tools into the existing um, positions? So after the CSN3 uh, part of your professional life, you, you became a, a counselor uh, at the same college, Hartnell. And and you obviously saw dozens and dozens of students every single semester, and, and uh, you also dealt with the students who who had educational difficulties. Uh, what did you see there? What had your personal and then your experiences uh, prior to that position? What did they help you? And what could you tell others? You know, because uh, people are going to say, "Well, college is different from school. We cannot spoon feed individuals, and we cannot." mother hand them, but at the same time, we know that humans are humans, whether they're one or they're 99 uh, or beyond. And, and so, you know, how can we, you know, what have you learned so we can increase their success? Uh... So one, after working with the CSN3 program, um, one of the big takeaways that I got from that was the importance of 
early intervention for retention, right? So one of the strengths of that program was making sure students had a strong math background going into the computer science field. Um, that might seem like a no-brainer, but not every school in the area teaches the same way or has the same level of exposure to math. And so one of the things that, that the CS3 program did right was it made sure that it gave students math awareness and it got involved with that early on before they even started the program, just to make sure that if you're not already at level you need to be, let's ramp you up before the program starts to help you have a higher likelihood of being successful in that program. So that early intervention piece was key. And so when I transitioned to my new role as the academic follow-up services specialist, the, the, the title's a, a mouthful, but basically it's working with all students to try to provide early intervention on campus. So here's our attempt at working with a number of cohort students to the entire 2000 plus student population. And the themes and the, 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 the trends that I saw, I mean, every student has a different experience, different background, but there were trends that emerged through my experience providing those services. Um, one of the things that I saw was that a lot of the challenges students were facing weren't necessarily academic in nature. Um, I went from serving mostly the students are struggling with one subject or another to working predominantly with students that are on academic probation or dismissal. And so as these students are coming back in and having to fill out petitions on why are you in this position? What could you do differently? There was patterns and trends and a lot of them began to show that it had not so much to do with the, the rigor of the academic challenges they were facing, but a lot of it was just the personal challenges they were facing on the home front, right? Life just got harder for our students and it continued to do so. Um, if one out of 20 students I worked with was dealing with housing insecurities, by the time I left, that number was probably down to like one out of every 12 students I was working with. Um, and the same could be said about food insecurities, um, transportation insecurities, you name it. Um, I felt like a lot of the work I was doing was almost social work in nature. And the challenge there was that we have funding that could provide very specific academic tools for our students, but how do you help them when the tool they need isn't necessarily academic, if it's more soft skills in nature or just personal in nature? Um, and so then we had to be very creative about partnering with outside institutions and organizations to find food pantries or, or, or housing or, or what have you. Um, and so that's one of the challenges that I saw to emerge more and more as time went on. Um, and, and I think if we all see the, the society we're in right now, regardless of where you live, the same can be said across the board, right? Cost of living is going up. What is it? $12 for a carton of eggs right now, <laughs> right? And, and salaries definitely aren't keeping up with that. And so I think everyone's struggling, but when you're already starting from a position of being disadvantaged, coming from a, a, a poor community, being the first generation, those those challenges are just further exacerbated and it's even harder to 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 get to that finish line get to that point where you could be successful when these challenges just continue to multiply for our students and and then the pandemic came and then we all were 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 shoved into uh you know uh, living in bubbles in order to preserve ourselves and our families and our society uh, from your perspective, how has it affected the students, like you mentioned, some of the most vulnerable in the nation? I think if we all look at the data, it says, who are the individuals in our society that got affected by it most, right? And it was predominantly Latino, African-American, low-income, 
not just students, just individuals in general, which happen to be the students that we predominantly serve at, at the schools we work here in, in, in California um, and, and several places throughout the country. And so I was able to see that firsthand through my appointments with students, even if it was virtual, right? I would begin to ask students, how are you doing? How are you doing? And little by little, students began to, to say, right? Oh, my uncle got sick. My Someone in my household got sick, right? And this is before we had vaccines. This is when when the, the variant was a lot stronger and more potent. Um, and so I saw firsthand the devastation it was having in our community, right? Um, and as discouraging as that was, there was always a glimmer of hope, right? You had your 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 peers that were still volunteering at food banks and, and going out there to, to drive and take a laptop to a student that's locked up at home because they don't have access to it, right? We There was a, a, a large handful of stories of heroes that people that went above and beyond, right? And again, it was at great risk during that earlier part in the pandemic. Um, but for our students in particular, I wanna say they got hit the hardest. If they're already struggling with, with, with um, personal challenges, prior to, to to COVID, once COVID hit, again, the, the the burden unfairly fell more so on their shoulders than other areas, other people in, in our community. So, but again, go ahead. If I, if I could find a silver lining there, though, our students have always been resilient, right? And they find ways to make things work. So despite that increase in challenges, we still saw students being successful, right? One of the things that, the positive things that came out of the COVID experience was we were forced to go online. And what that did is it really helped our part-time students finish quicker. So even though we had a, a tremendous drop in number of students registering for our community college, the number of students taking classes did not go down. And that's because a lot of our part-time uh, uh, working students we're able to now take more than just one class because more were being offered online. Um, and so one of the silver linings to come out of this was we were forced to adapt and offer more online classes. And that's one thing that really, really resonated with our community and one of the positive things that came out of this experience. We'll never take away from the resilience of our students, but however, one thing we can do to help them is maybe rethinking the way we operate and being there for them, not just hoping that because our doors are open that they're going to be here and somehow miraculously they're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's one of the things we knew before the pandemic and even more so afterwards, right? Yes, they're resilient, they'll do well, but we have to give them the tools. And that's where I'm happy to see a lot of schools are really being honest with their discussions on how equity and inclusion how, how equitable, equitable and inclusive their campuses are. Um, I know it's been one of the big buzz terms in higher education, but I think a lot of schools are really having a, 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 an honest reconciliation with how equitable they're actually being. And I think now with this next phase of COVID that we're now living through, a lot of schools are being intentional about putting those lessons learned during that experience into practice. And there is some positive change, I think, coming uh, down the pipeline at certain institutions, right? Yeah. Other schools are still holding on to, to this is how we've always done it. Um, and, and that's always been the, the, the challenge to, to change, right? 